0: So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, and if you're willing and able, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We continue our series through the book of Romans, and I'll be reading from Romans 11 verse 1 through 10 this morning. Romans 11, 1 through 10. As I read, it's always a joy to remind you that this is indeed the Word of the living God. It is true forever, for all time, for all people everywhere. And it is indeed a life-giving, precious gift. And I pray that we all will receive it as such this morning. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected Israel. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them, that their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you care about these kinds of things, I would title this sermon, either God has not rejected his people, or maybe a remnant chosen by grace. A remnant chosen by grace. Well, you know, there's a lot happening in our world today that can cause us to respond with worry, that can cause us to be filled with anxiety, that can fill, fill us with fear and dread, or discouragement and disappointment, grief and sorrow. Uh, I don't have to go through a list of what those things are. I'm sure they are present in your hearts and your minds this morning. But in the midst of all these troubling circumstances that we face, this inhuman world that we live in with injustice all around, God Almighty is reigning on the throne. As we were reminded in men's prayer on Friday from Psalm 103 verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God Almighty rules over all in righteousness and justice, and his reign is a reign of grace. And so in the midst of this world, with all the wrong that's going on in the world, every day God Almighty is doing what is right. And every day God is pouring out his grace on his people. Every day God is rescuing people from eternal damnation, delivering them from death and darkness and bringing them into eternal life with him. Every day around the world, more and more people are trusting in Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. And they are doing so because of God's electing grace, because of his glorious plan, because he has not forgotten his people. This is the big picture of what's happening all over the world today. Throughout history, God is keeping his promise. He's keeping his word. He's keeping his covenant. He is gathering and perfecting his people through the church, through the proclamation of Christ. He's making all things new until the day when Jesus Christ returns. So in the midst of everything else that is going on, let us keep this at the forefront of our minds. This is exactly what Peter tells us to do in his first epistle, the end of his first chapter, where he encourages God's people to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on that grace to come. Beloved, Jesus is coming again. Bringing bountiful grace with him. Amy told me this story this week. My wife heard this story on a, uh, from another sermon she was listening to, and I told her I was going to tell it this morning. She's like, well, you better confirm that before you just tell that. So I did do that this morning. Uh, from, uh, Billy Graham has a book in which the story appears. Ten days before uh, JFK was inaugurated as president, they were golfing together. And JFK asked Billy Graham, do you believe in the second coming of Christ? And Billy Graham said, I most certainly do. And uh, the president-to-be asked him, well, does my church believe it? And Billy Graham said, well, it's in the creeds. And he said, they never preach it. Why don't I hear more about it? So I want to encourage you, beloved, to tell someone this week, or to tell yourself, even right now, even as we listen to God's word this morning, even as you go out from our midst today, that Jesus is coming again that he reigns on the throne, that he is reigning in grace and he has not forgotten his people. I would encourage you to be on a daily grace hunt, a daily glory hunt. Where do you see the grace of God at work? Where do you see the glory of God on display? Because it is all around you every day. May God open our eyes to see it even this morning in his word. And we do see it in our text Today, God has not rejected his people, but indeed, the gathering of his people, the perfecting, the keeping of his people, it is all by grace alone received through his Son, Jesus Christ. As we've been studying our way through Romans, you probably have noticed that Paul is excellent at making arguments. That he states his point clearly, he states what is true, and then he shows us why. He gives us the evidence. He does that again today. He begins here in verse 1 by asking this question, Has God rejected his people? And his answer, once again, is by no means, or God forbid. He's again using that strongest form of denial that's available to him in the language of his day. So he emphatically states his point. God has not rejected his people. It's impossible. And then he gives us five reasons why we should believe him. Five assurances that God has not rejected his people. He has not rejected us. Beloved, he has not rejected you if you belong to him today. So first, the example of Paul. The example of Paul himself assures us that God has not rejected his people. He has not rejected us. Look at verse 1 again. Paul begins, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul begins his argument by saying, listen, I myself, I'm a living, breathing testimony of the fact that God indeed has not rejected his people. He's not rejected Israel. He has not rejected the Jews, for I myself am a Jew, and I belong to God. He has saved me. So Paul says, for I myself am an Israelite, And that's the covenant name that God gave to his people. This is significant because Paul's answering this question of God's faithfulness. Is God faithful? Does he keep his promises? Does he remember his people? And Paul says, I'm an Israelite. That's the covenant name God gave to his people. So you're saying, has his promise failed? Has he rejected his people? It's impossible because God himself is the one who initiated this covenant. And he will indeed keep it. You know, a covenant, sometimes we use that synonymous with, uh, with promise. It's similar to a promise, but it's something deeper. You know, a covenant is a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. So in the Old Testament, we, we, we become acquainted with God's covenant with his people. And God sealed this bond with his own blood. The blood of his own son. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son. God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. His own son shed his blood for us on the cross of Calvary. Because he has done that, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's reminding us of this covenant. God has sealed his covenant with his people through his own blood. So it's a bond in blood and it is sovereignly administered. So God is the one who is reigning over all and he never breaks a promise. He will do it. He will accomplish it and no one and no thing can overrule him. God's plan, God's purpose, God's person would have to be rejected, would have to be defeated in order for God to reject his people. And who or what can defeat God? No one. Nothing. Nothing. Certainly not you. If God or his word could be defeated, there'd be no hope for anyone. You want proof that God cannot be defeated? Paul himself is a living testimony. And we've heard the testimony of Paul before, right? He was trying to defeat God. He was trying to stamp out uh, the spread of the name of Jesus. But his life was transformed By God Almighty. So Paul himself is a living testimony, but that's just the first of five assurances that Paul gives. So second, the unbreakable bond of God's eternal love assures us that God has not rejected his people. He has not rejected us. Verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And we came across that word earlier in our study of Romans. In chapter 8, verse 29 Paul wrote, for those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. So those whom God foreknew, He predestined. He destined beforehand, or He chose beforehand for salvation. That word foreknow does not simply mean to know beforehand. Some will say that is what it means, but the scriptures make it clear that it's not. Now we know, we talked about this before, we know that God is omniscient. He knows all things. So he does indeed know what will happen in the future. So the question arises, in, in God choosing people, in his, his work of election, does he simply choose people because he knows? But he's, because he knows beforehand who will be saved or who will choose him? And the answer from the scripture is No. That's not how it works. That's not what the word means. That's not what Paul explains throughout the book of Romans. Remember, in chapter 9, Paul said that it depends not on human will or exertion. Not what humans want. Not what humans do. Not what they desire. What, not what they decide. But instead, it depends on God who has mercy. So that word foreknow, from its usage earlier in the Bible, it means to love beforehand. Often the scriptures will use that word no in the form of an intimate love. So it means to love beforehand. Here's an excellent passage for you. Deuteronomy chapter 7. God is talking about choosing his people Israel. And he says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And then he tells us why he chose them. He says, it was not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. That's what foreknow means, that he set his love on you and he chose you. So it's not because you were more in number than all the other people of the earth that the Lord foreknew you or set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So I have said often from the pulpit here, or in a card I might send to the children, that there is no one in heaven or earth who loves you more than Jesus Christ. If you don't learn anything else from this pulpit, I hope you'll learn that. There is no one in heaven or earth who loves you more than Jesus Christ. But I also could say it like this. There's no one in heaven or earth who has loved you longer than Jesus Christ. For when did Jesus start loving you? He started loving you before you were ever born. In fact, before your parents were ever born. Before anyone was ever born. You say, how is that even possible? That's possible for our infinite God of love. One of the songs, so if, if I, if I planned the theme for the service knowing I was preaching This sermon, I might have picked our sovereign God as our opening hymn. Our sovereign God, the third verse says this. Before our birth, he planned our days, laid out our course, ordained our ways. The moments of our lives he weaves, so all the glory he receives. And then listen to this. To those he loved before all time. Before time even existed, God set his love on his people. To those he loved before all time, to all he called in grace renewed, he cannot lie, his word is true, he makes all things to work for good. Amen. Amen. Beloved, God cannot reject his people whom he foreknew, because he himself is the one who initiated this love. It was his choice before his people were ever born, and his love is not based on us in any way, on anything that we do, on our works, on anything we've done, whether good or bad. Paul has repeated that over and over again throughout Romans. This is God's covenant love. The scripture refers to it as his steadfast love. And you read throughout the Old Testament and you will find over and over and over again the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. We just sang about it at the end of our Sunday School class this morning. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. This is one of the reasons why I really appreciate the Jesus Storybook Bible we give to uh, families when they have their first child. We encourage you to read it to your children, to your grandchildren. You could be uh, a single young adult, not married, have no kids. And I would say, get that book and read it. Because it is wonderful at pointing us to Jesus. But I love the definition for this love, this covenant love. In children's language, it says, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for his people. Beloved, this is the love God has for you. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever Love, So beloved, God's people cannot make God reject them or stop loving them no matter what. Paul asked in Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer was nothing. There's nothing in all creation. So this unbreakable bond of God's eternal love assures us that God has not rejected his people. He has not rejected us. Third, the testimony of the scriptures. The example of Elijah assures us that God has not rejected his people. He has not rejected us. Verse 2, Paul continues, Do you not know what the scripture says? Now let me just stop there for a moment. I want to point out that Paul continually bases his arguments on the word of God. He is quoting from the Old Testament over and over and over again. He's pointing us to the scriptures. Do you not know what the scripture says? So this ought to say something to us about the importance of knowing the scripture. Believing, relying on, finding comfort in the word of God, including the Old Testament, because that's what Paul's referring to. If not that, think about what Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17. He said, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So the way that we grow to become more like Christ is through the truth of this very word, the word of God. Or the psalmist says in Psalm 119, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. So when you suffer affliction, when you're weighed down by sorrow, where do you turn for comfort? The psalmist says the word of God. The scriptures give you life. So, beloved, do you know what the Scripture says. If you want to know God, if you want to trust Him, if you want to think and live according to truth in this world full of lies, if you want to have comfort and hope in the midst of this broken world, if you want to follow Jesus, you must know the Word of God. Paul continues his argument. He gives us this third assurance, verse 2. Do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah. So we have the testimony of the scriptures, the example of Elijah, and Paul's reminding us of what happened to God's prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. There's a great kid's book about this story, some of you might have it, it's called The God Contest. If you don't have it, it's a great one to get and read to your children. But in that passage, 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings 19, Elijah is this one true prophet of the true and living God, and he goes up against 450 false prophets of the idol Baal. And the, the test is going to be which God will bring the fire and consume the altar. And of course, Almighty God, Jehovah, he wins. Why? Because he is the true God. But when Ahab, the king of Israel, the king of God's covenant people at the time when he hears about this he's the wicked king of Israel at the time he tells his wife Jezebel and what does she do when she hears that this has happened she vows to kill Elijah and so Elijah fears for his life he flees he goes as far away as he possibly can go out into the wilderness he hides himself in a cave and the Lord comes to him and the Lord says Elijah what are you doing here and Elijah says, the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. So listen, God does not forget his people, though we often forget him. But he does not forget us. So Elijah says, the people, Lord, they've forgotten you. They've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And I, even I alone, am left. And they seek to take my life. They're going to kill me. And God essentially says, Elijah, go back. Go back, Elijah. I will fight your enemies for you. I will bring judgment on the wicked, but you also need to know you're not alone. You're not the only one left. I have kept for myself 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And notice how Paul says this. What does he emphasize? God says, he doesn't say. Elijah, they are 7,000 who have chosen to follow me. He says, I have kept for myself 7,000. This is something that God has done. So when so many in Israel were indeed rejecting God and forgetting God, joining in the worship of the false gods, the worship of this idol Baal, what stopped these 7,000 from joining the crowd, from doing what everyone else was doing? It was not the strength of their own will. It was not their own righteousness. It was the restraining hand of their covenant-keeping God. God kept them for himself. He did not reject them. By his grace, he enabled them to remain faithful to him. And beloved, this same God is keeping you this very day. It is his grace It is his faithfulness that keeps you for himself. That enables you to turn from the worship of idols and to worship him, the one true God. It is such an encouragement to know that God will not reject his people. He will not forget his people. He is faithful. He restrains our sin when we can't restrain it ourselves. He keeps us for himself. This is what Jesus prays for us. In John chapter 17 again, it's a wonderful prayer to meditate on. Jesus said, Holy Father, keep them in your name. He's praying for us. He's praying for you His children. Keep them in your name. And beloved, God is not going to say no to his son in that prayer. And then Jesus says, when I was with them, I kept them in your name. So the testimony of the scriptures, the example of Elijah assures us That God has not rejected His people. He has not rejected us because He is the one who is actively keeping us in His name. And as God keeps us in His name, we more and more turn from the worship of idols to worship the one true God. What did did Paul say? The Lord says, I've kept for myself 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Beloved, God's people turn from the worship of idols and we bow the knee to the one true living God, to King Jesus. Well, fourth, the fact that there is a remnant chosen by grace assures us God has not rejected his people. God has not rejected us. Verse five, Paul continues, so too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So there is a remnant chosen by grace. Think of it. Grace, in many ways, is the opposite of rejection. God is not rejecting his people. Instead, he is pouring out his riches on undeserving sinners at Christ's expense. And that's one very simple definition of the word grace. If you can spell grace, G-R-A-C-E, you can remember a simple understanding of it. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense for undeserving sinners. We see grace is the opposite of rejection. Grace is God choosing people to be saved, actively choosing people and then actively making these people his own. And this grace, God, God electing, God choosing people to be His own, is not on the basis of works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace, Paul says. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is one of, the, one of the many passages in the Scriptures which make it so clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. It's by grace. Paul says there is no way. There's no way that God has rejected his people. In fact, he is doing just the opposite. He is gathering his people in. He's gathering more people in. He has this remnant chosen by grace he's saving them by grace salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone it is not based on works that's why we often say the difference between christianity and all the other religions of the world is the simple difference between do and done every other religion trying to work their way to god based on what they do Trusting in their works. And God saying, no, that is not the way to God. It's through my son, Jesus Christ, what he has done. Because, beloved, you can never do enough. You can never be righteous enough. But God, in his mercy, in his covenant love, sent his own son to do what you could never do. To perfectly obey the law. And then to die on the cross for your sins in your place. And then to rise again from the dead. So that all who trust in Christ are indeed forgiven of their sins and made the children the people of God forever. We know. We know that God has not rejected his people because there is a remnant chosen by grace. Because God is still actively saving his people today including many among Israel. Many among the Jews. So... We we shouldn't even have to say this, right? It's so clear in the scriptures, but far from any kind of racism against Jews, any kind of anti-Semitism, we should love all people, love the Jews, and pray for their salvation. We should long for the full remnant to be saved so that we can rejoice with our brothers and sisters in Christ that Jesus would come again. And beloved, it's happening It's happening today. God is being faithful to his promise, even saving the remnant of Israel right here in Lancaster County. Now, you you heard me. I, I think I mentioned it in a prayer. I'm not sure I mentioned it from the public outside of my prayer recently, but I recently saw this video testimony of a man named Michael who lives at Masonic Village. And the testimony begins, and he says, I'm 89 years old and a new Christian. Love it, it is never too late to invite someone to church, and not only is he a new Christian, but he is a Jew he 's part of this remnant chosen by grace. He is living proof that God is keeping his promise. this remnant chosen by grace. glory to God. So this brings us to our fifth and final assurance, the fact that Israel. The fact that Israel failed to obtain righteousness through her own efforts, but the elect obtained it, assures us again, God has not rejected his people, he has not rejected us. Verse 7, Paul says, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. So Israel as, as a whole at that time, in general, you took Israel as a whole and you would say, this, this people, they have failed to live up to the law that they've pursued. They have failed to be righteous in God's eyes. Israel could not obtain the righteousness she desired through her own efforts. And no one can. So Israel stumbled over the stumbling stone. The rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Jesus who is the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe. So most of Israel at that time failed to obtain it. Failed to obtain this salvation. But not all. Most, but not all, because Paul says the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So the failure that Paul is addressing, that the people were feeling, seeing at the time, it only falls on those who are not elect. And that failure is not on God's part, but on the part of Israel. The people who rejected God The elect obtained it. So God's chosen people, those whom he foreknew, whom he loved before they were born, they obtained salvation by grace. Paul says the rest were hardened. Well, why were so many hardened? They're hardened because they deny their need for God. They deny their need for God. Like Romans chapter 1. They refuse to acknowledge God as God. They do not worship God as their creator. And, and so, in response, God gives them over to their sinful desires, and their hearts are hardened. In verses 9 and 10, Paul uses a prayer of David, this prayer of judgment from Psalm 69. He says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. And that table may be an image, this is where it would fit with Psalm 23, which Ron was going to preach on this morning this this table that God prepares before us it may be an image of God's bountiful provision which is given to us to lead us to give thanks to God to worship him as our provider as our good and generous king but instead his people were worshipping his created gifts they wanted the pleasure of these physical gifts rather than God himself and so God gives them the retribution, the punishment that they deserve, that they've earned. Verse 10 where it says, bend their backs forever. That may be an image of them toiling under the heavy burden of trying to earn their own righteousness, to merit eternal life by their works, and it weighs them down. They cannot do it. And yet they refuse to accept from God's hand His salvation freely given by grace. So not only do they deny their need for God, they don't worship him as God, but then they deny their need for his grace. Beloved, God has not failed. He has not rejected his people. They have rejected him. They do not humble themselves before his mighty hand. And James tells us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Beloved, God has not rejected his people. There is indeed a remnant chosen by grace. So today, all over the world, God is gathering, he is keeping, he is perfecting his people by grace alone. And he will be faithful to do this until Jesus returns. Set your hope fully on this grace to come. Now let me just close by asking this question. How can we respond To these truths that we have heard today. What might it look like. If we would live in light. Of these truths about God. About people. I want to give you three brief encouragements. First of all. You must know and remember. Those of you trusting in Christ today. That God will never reject you. He will never reject you. So you can live a life of humble thanks. Of patient Trust of dependent obedience. Paul asked that question Has God rejected his people? We make it personal. Has God rejected me? Has God rejected you? The answer is by no means. At times, it may look like it in your life, it may feel like it. You may be discouraged by the lack of fruit that you see in your life, you may be weighed down by the amount of sin that still is in your life by by the struggle that you have with some besetting sin that you can't seem to overcome or perhaps like Elijah you have little faith that God is actually still on the throne that he is preserving his people maybe you're the only one in your family who's saved maybe you are discouraged tired of lukewarm christian living whether it's in your own life or in the church at large But beloved, today, if you are discouraged, if you feel rejected by God, the way out of that feeling is not through your own efforts. It's not through your own righteousness. You don't work your way back into God's good graces. No, by by no means. God forbid. It is by grace alone. And that grace comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Remember and believe today your best days, your very best days as a Christian. They're never so good that you don't need God's grace. There's never a day where you can stand before God on your own two feet of performance. It cannot happen. It never happens. But also remember, your worst day is never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. So cry out to Jesus for the grace that you need, and He will hear, and He will Answer, remember this, know this, know the scriptures, believe the scriptures. God is indeed accomplishing his plan of redemption. Even when you cannot see it, there is a remnant chosen by grace. God will complete the good work that he has begun, so we respond with humble thanksgiving. Patient trust. It can be so hard to wait. That's part of our sanctification, is learning to wait on our faithful God who always keeps his word. So patient trust and dependent obedience. Second, my second encouragement is share the gospel with everyone. Share the gospel with everyone. Beloved, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. The elect obtained it. So God, by his grace, he can take for himself anyone that he chooses So freely, with joy and anticipation, meditate on these truths and then share the gospel with everyone and trust the power of God to triumph over all obstacles. We proclaim Christ. We tell this good news of salvation to the most unlikely sinner. Maybe you want a challenge. You pick someone you think they would never believe in Christ. Tell them the gospel and see what God might do. Because everyone is powerless to resist the sovereign grace of God. Paul himself was. That's why he holds. He says, I was the chief of sinners. Mercy was shown to me so that you would see the power of God's mercy. He can save anyone. Beloved, if, if God kept for himself 7,000 in the days of Baal worship, he can keep as many as he pleases from among those who worship the idols of our day. So let's share the gospel with everyone so generously. And then third, Fight against the thoughts of my children or my loved ones may not be chosen. Or perhaps you're thinking that of yourself. I may not be chosen. Fight against those thoughts because your sin and their sin is not greater than the grace of God. Any and all sin can and will be forgiven if you, if they call upon Christ. And so our God is able. He is able to keep you. He's able to keep the ones you love the most for himself. And if you're with us today, you're hearing this through the live stream, you may not have trusted in Christ yet. God may be keeping you alive this very day because he has chosen you for himself. He's chosen you for salvation. It may be that your life or the life of the one you love, is about to be transformed. Saved by the grace of God for his sake, for the glory of his name. So do not think, do not say, I may not be chosen, or they may not be chosen. Instead, think and say, because all of God's choosing is by grace. There's absolutely no reason to think that they or I would be excluded from this great salvation. So let us call upon the name of the Lord today, and you will find, along with all the beloved children of God, that your gracious God will never reject you. He will indeed be your faithful shepherd. He is coming for you, beloved, and he will carry you safely home. Amen? Amen.